Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. And so as I said, we're going to start a series called uh, Make Room. And, and I think right around Arise Conference, we started singing a song uh, called Make Room. And in that song, it says, I will make room for you to do whatever you want to. Now, I know sometimes we kind of sing the words that are on the screen because they're on the screen and that's the song that we sing. But, but I think sometimes we need to make sure that we're not just singing the words that are on the screen, but that our heart really connects with the words that are on the screen. You know, and, and, and that's kind of what we're talking about in this series is, are we going to make room for God in our life to do whatever he wants to, or are we going to make just enough room for God in our life that we can still do what we want to do, but we add God into our life? And, and God's desire, and we're going to look at this here in a little bit, is not that, that we just give him a little bit of room in our life, but God wants full access into our heart and into our life so that he can begin to do what he wants to do in us and through us. And see, here's the thing about God, is that God knows what every one of our days are supposed to be. Psalms 139 is a beautiful reminder of that, we, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that, that God's thoughts toward us outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore, that every day of our life, before we even lived one single day in our life, that God planned out our life. And, and when he was fearfully and wonderfully making us, there was a plan that, that he had, that he, and he equipped us with every single gift that we would need for life and godliness. The only thing that he doesn't do is force us to, write, to fulfill the plan that he wrote out for us. He invites us to make room for him. And I know for me personally, there's been times in my life where I have sang a song or prayed prayers like this, God, I'll, I'll do anything you want me to. Just, just show me what you want to do. Because Brandon's plan was like, I'm a sports fanatic. Like I love basketball especially, but I love all things sports except for like soccer, but I don't know if soccer is really a sport, but we won't get into all that because uh, I know some of y'all will get a little mad at me or whatever. But I, so I love sports. I used to play them all the time. I used to watch them all the time. I stay up and watch Sports Center. I could tell you every stat for what somebody was bat, what their batting percentage was, how many home runs they had, what their field goal percentage was, how many points per game they scored, whatever it was. I was just sports fanatic. And so my thing was, I realized that I was not uh, that that I had some problems in my life. One was I'm vertically challenged. And so vertically challenged means that to go on into the NBA or something, that's going to be a little bit difficult. And I know I'm no Muggsy Bogues or Spud Webb, or I don't have that type of jumping ability or athletic ability. So I saw that the NBA and some of these other things were not in the cards for me, but I wanted to be around sports. So I was going to go into sports medicine, had scholarships, everything to go into sports medicine. I was going to become an athletic trainer, and I was just going to go try to get hired on at some college or university or, you know, pro team or semi-pro team or something just so that I could be around sports all the time. But God had a little bit of a different plan. 
And so God, as I'm praying and asking God to do things in my life, and I start going to school, and, and like I just realized I was miserable because I wasn't doing what God called me to do. And, and I would pray and ask God to lead me and direct me and everything. And I started feeling more and more that God was leading me into ministry. And, and, you know, and so I'm in that same thing of, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but... Come on, how many of you add a but on some of your conditions that you give God every now and then? I was like, God, I'll do anything you want me to do, but please don't make me pastor church. Like, church folks are mean. Like, I, I thought when I saw what John Bevere did and, and some of those people who were kind of traveling evangelists, I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to go preach and just drop truth bombs on people and walk away and let the pastors kind of do all the dirty work of, 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 you know, working through the discipleship process and all of those things. That was kind of what I wanted to do, you know, even though I, I previ- I'd already changed from where I was going to be in sports medicine, be an athletic trainer, to at least I'm in ministry, but the more that I began to pursue God, the more that God began to change my heart and desire to pastor. And I remember being in Louisiana and we're at Healing Place Church and we're seeing them feed the hungry and the poor and they're going into the inner city and they're, they're, they're uh, like literally had teams that would go in the strip clubs and bars and things and we're seeing all these people who are far, far from God coming to church and getting saved and set free and delivered from those lifestyles and everything. And I was like, man, God, West Virginia needs a church like this. He's like, yeah, and you need to bring it to them. And then I surrendered to that and began to do it. And, and now I can't even see myself doing anything else. I can't, I can't see myself traveling and doing all that stuff. Like, this is what I want to be because this is who I was created to be. I thought sports medicine, God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to pastor a church in a little town of Mount Hope that's gonna bring hope, not just to the state, but to the nations. But I had to make room for him. And the way that I had to make room was by giving up some of the things that weren't even necessarily mandatory for what I wanted. And as I was looking up the words for that song, Make Room, I came across another song by Jonathan McReynolds and I had the the words for, for this and it says, I find space for what I treasure. I make time for what I want, and I choose my priorities. Now, I could stop right there, and I could preach a whole message on that, because I think some people think that they're a victim of their schedule, that they can't organize their time, that, that people, uh, you know, they, they think that the, the boss or the kids or the family or, you know, different things, that that demands their time and roles and controls their, their time. But if we're completely honest, if there is something that is extremely valuable to us, then we will make a way and find a way to be able to do it. If there is something that we love to do, then it doesn't matter if we have to get up at four o'clock in the morning and get other stuff done to make it. It doesn't matter if in order to go on a trip or something that we have to stop eating out and stop doing Starbucks and, and uh, kind of go on a little bit of a fast or eat Raymond noodles for a month or something like that. We can find ways to do what we really want to do, what we treasure. We get to choose our priorities in life. You are not just a victim of your environment. You are not just a victim of your circumstances. You can choose what you put a priority on in your life. But it goes on and it says, Jesus, you're my number one. 
And I think that's a question that in the middle of this series and as we go through this series that you need to constantly come back to is, is Jesus number one? And he says, so I will make room for you and I will prepare for two so that you don't, uh, so that you don't feel that you can't live here. Please live in me. And that last line is a question that we need to ask. Does Jesus feel welcome in your everyday life? Or is Jesus just something that you give him a little bit of time in the morning or some time on the weekend and the rest of the time you completely ignore him? Have you ever been with somebody or been at somebody's house that like they don't even acknowledge the fact that you're there? Like you're in the room and you're with them, but you might as well not be there, or you're in the room and you're with them, and it is obvious that they do not want you to be in the room and be with them. Like, you are only there because somebody forced them to do it, you know, that type of thing. You know that you are not welcome. How many times has Jesus not felt welcome in our life? Think about the things we watch, the things we say, the things we participate in. How many times has Jesus felt uncomfortable because of the things that are going on in our life? Will we make room for him? You know, God's desire was never that he was just a piece of our life. God's desire was that we'd be in covenant relationship with him. Even if you go back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, he created the world, he created man, he created all the animals and everything, but then he brings Adam alongside and he says, hey, Adam, what's that called? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to name it? Ah. Uh, a lion. Okay, it's a lion. What about that one? What do you want to call it? Well, that one looks kind of weird. What do you want to name it? Brad. All right, so. <laughs> Sorry, Brad. First person I saw, man. Why did God create the animals and then ask Adam to name them? Because God's desire is always that we're a part of what he's doing. God's desire has not been that we sit on the sideline. God's desire is that we have an equal opportunity. God's desire is that we're in covenant relationship. It's not that, that we're slaves to him, that he does all of these things for us, and we just have to do what he says and, and just offer and just obey that little bit. God's desire is that we are in a covenant relationship to where it's mutually beneficial for both sides. Even look at the way that the Bible is, is broken out. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament, which literally in Hebrews, it breaks it out and says this is the old covenant and the new covenant. God is a covenant God. Even when God was establishing his covenant with Abraham, he went through the process of the covenant. In the Old Testament, they used to, when they were making a covenant in between two men, they would take an animal, they would split it open, they would walk through, they would both pass through that, that animal, and, it, and they would make a commitment, if I break this vow or this covenant that I'm getting ready to break, then what happened to this animal may it happen to me. And you see in scripture, in Genesis, where literally they go through this whole process, and it says that a smoke came down and, and went and walked through the thing where God literally entered into covenant with Abraham. But the covenant was not just so that Abraham could have all the benefits. Abraham, there was some responsibility and things that were in it. 
You even look in Genesis chapter 22, I believe, where Abraham finally gets his son, his promised son, that he was 100 years old when this son was born, and, and Sarah was 90 years old. This is the miracle child, and God says, okay, I want you to go lay him down on an altar because I want to see if what I give you is more important to you than who I am. And for many people in the church today, the, covenant, the relationships that we have with God are extremely one-sided, where we look to God as he's here to help us, he's here to equip us, he's here to bless us, he's here for all the benefits. There, there's a lot of people who just serve God for the benefit package. And can I tell you something? God is here to help us. God is here. But there's another side of it, of how can we help God? What, what is near to God's heart? What does God care about in life? And, you know, during the Christmas season, this is a time where a lot of times when I said make room, and, and of course, I didn't tell the creative team what to do or whatever on the design. I never do because I'm not creative. But, you know, they just, their, their instant thought was what? The nativity scene. Why? Because this time of year, what do we hear? That there was no room for Jesus in the end. But can I tell you something? God doesn't just want one day a year at Christmas. God doesn't just want one day a week on Sunday. God wants to feel welcome in our every single day life. Is there room for Jesus in our everyday life? Or do we put him on the side? Or do we put our trust in something else? Because part of the covenant, there is a benefit and blessing that God will be our provider, God will be our protector, God will be our healer, he'll be our restorer, he'll be our peace, he'll be our righteousness, like all of those things. But sometimes... Instead of leaning on God for those things, we try to trust other people. And in, in uh, King Asa's life, King Asa, for the first 36 years of his reign, he was a very successful king. He had reformed the nation, brought it back to serve God. But then there was a period of time where Asa got afraid, and instead of trusting in God, he began to put his trust in another king. He saw that, that King Basa was outside the city limits, and he had set up, his, he set up his army and was getting ready to attack. And so Asa goes to the church. He pulls out all the silver and gold. He sends it to King Benadad, the king of Aram, and says, will you come and fight with me when Basa comes? And the prophet comes to Asa, and in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 9, he says, Asa, don't you know that the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro on the earth to find somebody that he can strongly support. Who are the people that he can strongly support? He added this, whose hearts are completely his. Asa, this thing you've done is foolish. Because you've done this, now you're going to have, the rest of your life is going to be wars. Sometimes we take what is God's and we offer it we try to bring somebody else and we put all of our faith in what somebody else can do for us versus putting our faith in God. You know, in the world we're in today, political agendas and all this stuff are crazy and they're two polar extremes and people look at election results and all of these things and they think, well, the nation's all over now because these people changed position or the state's going to go down the tubes because these people are in position or whatever it is. These people are in control of the House or the Senate or whatever. And we get so worried about all these political things that we're falling into the trap that King Asa did. He thought that 
man could help him more than what God could. And I just want to tell you, if you are scared and fearful and all this stuff about the country, it's all going to go downhill, everything's going to go crazy, our state, our economy, the, they're going to shut everything down. Listen, we serve a God that is far higher than any elected official. And God wants his church to realize that if we are in covenant with him, then he is our protector, he is our God, he is our fortress, he is our provider, he will take care of us. If you go back and even look in, in Egypt when the plagues are coming and there's, there's, there's uh, animals being wiped out, there's frogs, there's locusts and all that stuff, there's complete darkness in Egypt, there was light in Goshen. None of the children of Israel, why? Because God had made a covenant with Abraham. And the covenant that God made with Abraham is I will protect you. Listen, we need to put our faith and our trust that God has us and he will protect us. And not in a political party, not in a person. Put our faith and trust in God. And when we walk in covenant with God, we know that he is always there with us. Listen, God is looking for people who will fully trust God. God with all of their heart, and not just that, but fully make themselves available to God, and not get distracted by what may happen because of a government change or an army or a virus or any of those different things, but trust God. Trust that what God can do through you, that God can work miraculous things in you and through you. I believe today that God is going to work a miracle through us, that as we bring an offering here in a little bit, that it's going to be something that is going to meet needs, that people have been praying, God, I don't know how to pay for the electric bill. I don't know how to pay, keep paying for food for this ministry. I don't know how to pay for this thing. But we get to be a part of a miracle today. And God is drawing us to that relationship with covenant. But you know, a lot of times we won't be involved in what God's trying to involve us in. Because we'll make excuses over the things, well, I, I don't have that much to give, so what I give isn't going to be enough. Or, or I, you know, Brandon, you talk about serving and you talk about, you know, using your gift for, for God and, and everything, but like, I'm, I'm just not gifted like that. I'm not, I'm not as good at these things. And, 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 or I have these faults and I have failures. Well, guess what? I have faults and I have failures, but I still operate in my gift. Why? Because it's not about my ability and my holiness. It's always about his, it's about my availability and his holiness in my life. It's about his strength being made perfect in my weakness. It's about his grace being sufficient. But the reason why we struggle with this so much is because there's an accuser of the brethren. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it, it's talking about at the end of time, it, it says the accuser of the brethren had been thrown down. And when it, it talks about the accuser of the brethren, it's talking about Satan. And the reason why I want you to see that he is the accuser of the brethren is because a lot of the reason why we don't step into what God's called us to do is because we've been listening to the accuser. He always tells us about every fault, every failure, all of our lack, all of our inadequacies, all of our uh, things that we're not sufficient in. We're too old, we're too tall, we're not smart enough, we don't have enough money. 
I didn't have background. I was raised in a wrong environment. He would give you anything, any lie that he can because that's what he always does is try to bring accusation to hold you in a place where you don't fulfill what God has called you to do. But you can, do, you can fulfill what God has called you to do. In the book of Job, you see where God, the, the enemy brought accusations. In, in uh, Job chapter 1, you see where he, uh, verse 9, it says that Satan said that he tells him, the only reason why that God, that Job is serving you, God, is because you protect him and because you get, you've given him all this wealth. If you, will, uh, if you will touch what he has, he will curse you to his face. And so God's like, okay, go ahead, try it. You can, you can put him through these things. But you can't touch his, you can't take his life. You can't touch his body. Listen, some of the circumstances and problems and weights and things that we go through and constant accusations and bombardment of the enemy is really a test and an opportunity to see if we're going to try to go through it in our own strength or we're going to lean upon God. King Asa was being tested. Am I going to continue you know, I, it's great when I'm serving God and everybody is coming and, and there's this restoration and there's this, this revival taking place. But am I going to continue to serve God when there's an enemy camped outside my gates that's bigger and stronger and I'm afraid of? Am I going to continue to trust in him or am I going to turn? Guys, I've been completely guilty of this in my life. There's times when I'll bargain with God and I'll be like, God, look, you know, when Zia was sick, for example, we are in and out of the hospital all the time. And when we were in and out of the hospital, one of us would be at the hospital, the other one was still serving in church. We still taught our leadership class. We still were on the worship team. Uh, we still, everything that we were currently doing in church, one of us would be at church for whatever service it was. If it was leadership, we would alternate teaching. If it was worship, Melody led worship on Friday nights. I played on the worship team on Sunday mornings. And, you know, we were always, we always continued to, to serve and make ourselves available to God. But there were times when, when things started getting worse and worse, and, and they're like, she's about to have a bone marrow transfusion, and you know, you're basically going to end up living in a bubble, and this is going to be her whole life, and, and all this. And I'm sitting here like, God, don't you see everything that I'm doing for you? Like, we're in the hospital and we're still serving. And like, we, we weren't serving like next door. The, the church campus was uh, about an hour away from where we lived. So in for order for us to go to church and serve in church, we're driving an hour to and from. Worship practice was after church. So sometimes it's 11 or midnight before we even get home. And I'm like, God, don't you see all that we're doing for you? And if we're honest, a lot of us would do that with God when we start seeing things going wrong in our life. Like, God, don't you see what I'm doing? I mean, now I know that, that Pastor Jeremy's got some issues and stuff. So I can understand why you would take him through this stuff. But like, I'm holy. Can't you go let the devil mess with some of these unholy people? What do we see from the book of Job? That God allows these things to happen to bring strength bring faith, to, see, to allow us to see what's truly in us. Job, at the end of the Job, God 
speaks to him and he says, where were you when I created the heavens? Where were you when I told the ocean it could only go this far? Where were you? And, and Job's like, I put my hand on my mouth and I'm just going to be quiet, God. I'm going to go sit and time out. You're right, I'm wrong. I realize that. And it's actually God's love that he shows us areas. God isn't trying to, if, if you realize areas that you haven't made room for God, he's not trying to condemn you in it. He's trying to let you recognize it because he loves you so much that he, he he's, doesn't want you to settle for less than what he's called you to do and what God's intended you to do. But so many times we look at our own inadequacies. Like this, this is something that like recently I've, I've felt for years that God called me to write some books and stuff and I've even written them before, and, and I end up throwing them out, and I don't like them and all this stuff. And so I start writing this book, and, and I, I get through it, and I'm probably 40 or 50 type pages into it. And, and like, as I'm writing, man, I'm like, this feels good. You know, this, sounds, this is going to be awesome and all this stuff. And then I go back, and I read it, and I'm like, Brandon, you're an idiot. Like, nobody's going to understand this. Like, you're having trouble understanding what you're reading right now. How is somebody else going to understand the point that you're trying to make when you write? Brandon, you can't even read a book. How in the world are you going to write one? And I'll be honest, for three weeks, I stopped. I was like, you know what? Melody's the writer in the household. I'm just going to watch kids and do work around the house. I'm going to create time for Melody to write and do stuff. Because I'm not good enough to do this. It's never been about our ability. It's always been about our availability. And if you're in that boat, and this is what God showed me too, like, Brandon, you shouldn't feel weak. Because, like, I've, I, I, when, I, when I'm writing it, out my notes and typing up my notes for this, I'm like, Brandon, number one, you can't share that, you're gonna, that God's calling you to write a book because then you're going to actually have to do it. As long as you keep it a secret and there's only a handful of people that know, then there's no accountability to it. So you don't have to, like, the minute that you preach this message, it's going to be on tape that you're supposed to write this book, and now you're going to have to actually write this book. So then fear started setting in. I was getting ready to take this out of the sermon like five times. Like, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say it. Brandon, say it. The enemy would do whatever he can to try to get your focus on him. But the second thing that God showed me was the fact that you're battling with insecurity and inadequacies and everything like that doesn't mean you're weak. It just means you're human. Look at all the people in Scripture who battled when God called them. Gideon, the Lord came to him and said, you mighty warrior. And he said, who, me? Oh, no, 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 no. I, my tribe is the least of the nation of Israel, and I'm the least, uh, my family is the least of our tribe, and I'm the least of my family. So you got the wrong guy. And God just completely ignored him and discontinued with the assignment. You look at Moses, it's the exact same thing at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. It, it, he tells him, he says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And, and, uh, and you will bring my people out of, out of Egypt. And Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should uh, bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And remember this, that Moses knew that he was supposed to be a deliverer. And Moses had even tried to deliver his people before and failed. You remember when the, the Egyptian was beating the Hebrew and he went in and he stepped in, he ended up killing the Egyptian. The very reason why Moses is in the wilderness running right now is because a failed attempt at delivering the nation of Israel. 
So he's like, God, who am I? I tried this before and I messed up. Don't you remember? Like I'm in the wilderness today being a shepherd because I tried to be the deliverer thing that you called me, but I messed it up. And look at what God says in verse 12. He says, certainly I'm going to be with you, and uh, this is going to be the sign to you. He just completely ignores him. But he tells him, the thing that's going to be different this time, Moses, is the first time you tried to do it in your own strength. I didn't tell you to go kill that Egyptian. You did that in your own strength. But I'm going to go with you. And Moses continues to negotiate with God. But, and, and, and he says, but who, who am I going to tell him sent me? He says, tell him that I am that I am sent you. And then he, he, God continues to give him instructions. I want you to go tell the people, I'm going to bring deliverance in their life. I'm going to bring freedom in their life. I see them. I know where they're at. I'm going to be right there with them. And then Moses is like, but what if they don't listen to me? Like, why are they going to listen to me? And he looks at him and says, well, what's in your hand? A stick. Throw the stick down. Turns into a snake. He goes on and he doesn't just stop with that one thing. He says, now take your, take your hand and put it inside your shirt. Pull it out. And he had leprosy on his hand. Put it back in. Pull it out. Leprosy's gone. Then he does a third thing. He says, take the water that you have and pour it out. He pours the bowl out, and guess what? The water turned into blood. Right here, you got three signs, three miracles that God worked through him just because Moses was willing to do something silly like throw down a stick. Sometimes we think that God, we have to do some big, huge, miraculous thing in order to do something for God, and God's like, listen, I don't need you to perform a miracle. I need you to throw a stick on the ground. I don't need you to heal the sick. Put your hand in your shirt. Pull it out. Put it back. Pull it out. Like it's, it's almost like he has him doing the hokey pokey. The burning bush hokey pokey. You put your right hand in, you pull your right hand out. It sounds silly. It sounds simple. But God can take your silly, simple obedience and work miracles. Some of you today, the offering that you're going to bring, it seems silly because to you, it just seems like this, it's not that much. But in the hand of God, it can work miracles. And then when you put it together with other believers, then God, if we're faithful and bring our silly, simple acts of obedience to this altar, then it can lead to salvations. It can lead to deliverances. It can lead to all these different miracles being worked through us through a silly, simple act but you know what? Moses wasn't even good enough. He works three miracles through him, and that's still not enough. He said, but, but I can't speak. I'm not eloquent in speech, and I haven't ever been eloquent in speech. 
And God just said, who is it that made man's mouth? Moses. I made you. I know what you can do and what you think you can't do. And God was even merciful with him. Like He sent Aaron with him for a little bit to let Aaron speak a couple times. But then the more that Moses began to feel comfortable in the gift, then later you see where Moses is getting before the people speaking for the people. He's not speaking through Aaron anymore. He's speaking directly to the people. He's speaking to Pharaoh directly himself. Guys, God is so patient with us. He's so patient. But he wants us to realize this isn't just a one-sided relationship. It's a covenant. There are benefits. There are protection and provision and, and healing and all these things that I am offering to you. But in return, you know what I want? I want all of you. I want your time, your talent, your treasure. All those dark things that you try to hide. I see them all already. I, I just want you to bring them to me. Just what you're carrying. The stick that you're carrying in your hand. The, whatever. Just, just bring it to me. And I'll work miracles through you. Guys, I hope through this series, we see that if we'll make room for God in our life, that God can do some miraculous things in us, and through us I don't want that song just to be a song that we sing but we really don't mean what we're singing we're going to actually sing that song at the end of this service and worship team you guys can come on up we're going to sing that song at the end of this service but I hope you sing it with a little bit of a different understanding I hope you sing it as a prayer saying, God, I, I really am going to give everything to you. Trust you. I, I don't want to be like King Asa who just put my, my hope and my faith in other people. I want to put my hope and faith in you. I'll give you three quick things, and I promise you they will be quick. Number one, you need to offer God what's in your hand. Just... What is it? You don't have to create a level of holiness or create a level of gifting before you offer it to God. Just say, okay, God, this is what, what I have, and I'm going to put it into your hands. Because I can tell you this, the minute that you take even, even a gifting that isn't even that great, when you put it in the hands of God, God can bring something called the anointing the anointing breaks the yoke of bond. I remember this guy who was in our church when we grew up. And this guy could not sing to save his life. If you think I was bad, this guy was way worse. But there was a song that when this guy, he was actually in prison for a while. He's supposed to serve, I think, 28 years. He got out in seven years. But there's a song that, was, uh, that he came across when he was in prison till the storm passes by. And it and when he sang this song, like you talk about the presence of God fill a room. And it wasn't because he was gifted and talented. It was like, till the storm passes over. 
and I'm not exaggerating. That was it, Jeremy Carey, y'all. I'm telling you, that, that's how it was. It sounded like a donkey hee-hawing. I mean, just. But when he would say, keep me safe till the storm passes by, man. Because it's not about our ability. It's just about making available what we have in our hand. Second thing, stop making excuses. Stop agreeing with the accuser. You know what he's doing. Recognize it. Because here's the thing. In Revelations, it says that, the, that God is going to throw the enemy into a pit and he's going to pull him down and all of these things. We don't have to wait till Revelation have victory over the enemy. God's given us authority over every form of darkness and demons and all of those things. He's given us authority over all those things. And, and Paul even tells the church, he says, listen, you're, you have weapons and your weapons aren't carnal. Your weapons aren't about your ability, your strength, your gifting. Your weapons are mighty for the pulling down of strongholds. That you, ex- that you pull down every vain imagination and thought that exalts itself against the word of God. Some of you need to stop listening to all the naysaying of the enemy and you need to begin to stand upon the word of God of who God says you are. You need to realize that you may not see yourself, you may see yourself as the least of the least, but God sees you as a mighty warrior, that God sees who you can be. And if you would just begin to take step by step in what he tells you to do, then you are going to be who he's called you to be. Gideon goes into a battle with 300 people and no weapons and chases down an army of 135,000 and defeats them. The same guy who said, I'm the least of everything, God uses him in the worst possible battle plan and brings victory. Why? Because he did the third thing. He took a step of faith. God just wants you to know he's with you. That's what he told Gideon. I know you're afraid, but I'll be with you. That's what he told Moses. I've done it before. Who am I? Don't worry about that. I'm going to be with you. And that's what he told his disciples. I'll be with you always, even until the very end. God is looking for people that he can strongly support. Will you be one of them? Will you be like King Asa and put your faith in something else? then the very thing that you're afraid of become your reality because you couldn't trust in God. I want you to do this. Let's all stand to our feet. I want you just to take a second. We're going to give in our miracle offering here in a minute. If ushers want to go ahead and get all that stuff ready, you can do that. But before we give in that offering, I want you to just take a second and say, God, What are you speaking to me? For some of you, it's something that's in your hand that God is just saying, I want you to trust me with that. For some of you, it's you've listened to the lies of the enemy far too long. Quit letting him beat you down. You're a warrior. You're a man of God. 
your marriage can be healed and restored. It's not over. I don't know who that's for. Somebody needs to know your marriage is not over. That God is going to bring restoration. He's not going to bring restoration to the condition it was. When God restores something, He restores it to the condition that He's always desired it to be. And He wants you to trust in Him. It's not going to be you that makes it. It's not makes it happen. It's not going to be a, 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 even a certain counselor or anything like that. God just wants you to begin to hit your knees, put your faith and trust in Him and do what He tells you to do. And step by step, when you see that, you're going to see your husband come back to God. And you're going to see him serve like he was called to be, like he was called to do. Let's just pray for a second, and then we'll give in the miracle offering. Father, I just pray right now for whoever that is. God, I, I pray for every individual that you're speaking to right now. I pray that, God, this isn't just a message or a word that they hear and they walk away from challenged by it. God, I pray that it's a message that we walk by changed by it. That, Father, we offer what's in our hand, God, and we stop making excuses, Father, and that we just take the step of faith that you're calling us to do. God, I pray that we make room for you in our everyday life, that, God, not even just time in our quiet time, but throughout the day that we keep our hearts connected to you, that if there's a need that you want us to meet, that you speak to us and we meet it. If there's a phone call you want us to make, if there's a text you want us to send, if there's somebody you want us to go encourage, whatever it may be, Father, I pray that our heart and our ears are always in tune with your voice in heaven, God, as we make room for you in our life. Father, mold us into the men and women of God you've created us to be. May we fulfill your perfect will and plan. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.